ghouls. Happy hump day and welcome to Ghoul Friends Podcast, brought to you by your best ghoul friends, Lucy and Lindsay. Grab your blankets, snacks and good vibes for tonight's sleepover, where the category is always horrifically spooky. If you want to keep up with us on the socials, you can find us on Twitter and Instagram at GhoulFriendPod on Twitter and GhoulFriends underscore podcast on Instagram. You can also listen to us on all podcasting platforms where we release new episodes every Wednesday. And if you want to follow me on my personal socials, you can find me on Twitter and Twitch at Lulu underscore Pew. And I'm at Hi It's Lindsay underscore on all social media. Now let's get spooky. Hey ghouls and welcome back to Ghoul Friends Podcast. As always, I'm joined by my best ghoul, Lindsay. How are you doing this fine morning? Because we're doing <laughs> I'm all right. We're up. I'm having a wee coffee. Um, it's breakfast time on a Saturday morning, and I'm having a wee recording session. I'm quite like I'm quite chipper. I'm quite looking forward to it. I know. I'm quite liking this. It's getting us ready for the day. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm jealous. You've got a coffee, but I do have a, a San Pellegrino, so it's not too bad. Bit not bougie. too bad. Bit I was like, I'd set my alarm a bit earlier because I was like, I'm going to like order in <clears throat> breakfast because I don't have anything and I need to do my food shop today. So I got up that bit earlier so that I could have coffee and something to eat. I need to eat to, with my medication anyway so I'm ready for the day (laughs) and today we are speaking about scary sequels so this is a segment that we're going to be doing um on ghoul friends this year it was suggested by you Lindsay because we all we did like a lot of movies last year where there's sequels to them Mm. Um, and one of them was 28 days later which I'm really excited for us to speak about 28 weeks later because you've never seen it Welcome to London. We're heading into District 1. Although District 1 is completely safe, outside the security zone, London remains a wasteland. There are a large number of bodies still left to be cleared from the original outbreak of infection. You're nearly home. How old are you, Andy? Twelve. I think that makes you the youngest person in the entire country. Welcome back. I miss you walking in your lives. Oh, I missed you so much. This is what it's all about, gentlemen. Family starting again. Did you like it? It's amazing. Are you going to tell us what happened to Mum? Their last infected human died six months ago. We weren't here six months ago. Have you come into direct contact with the infected? Execute Code Red. It's probably nothing. We've lost control. Kill everyone. In my shadow, that's it.
like on an initial reaction what did what did you what did you think because it is very it is different to the first one yeah like I was actually really surprised by how much I liked it because like I said last week for whatever reason I was always under the impression it was a bit shit so I never watched it and then I watched it and I was like it's actually really good like I don't know why I've avoided it all these years thank you because like I was actually because I've been saying to you I've been getting a load of decorating done in my flat just now and painting and stuff and my my neighbours were down because I didn't realise this is great. My neighbours are both gay and love horror. Love that. Oh. Um, but one of them was like, oh, what are you doing on the podcast? Because he does sound design for a living, which is really cool. And it was, I was like, 28 weeks later and he went, oh, that shit. I was like, oh, thanks. So I was like, I like 28 weeks later and I was like, oh god, Lindsay's gonna hate it. But I'm glad you've said you like it. <laughs> <laughs> so we'll get into it. So the IMBD plot for 28 Weeks Later is as follows. Six months after the rage virus was inflicted on the population of Great Britain, the US Army helps to secure a small area of London for the survivors to repopulate and start again. But not everything goes according to plan. This movie was released in 2007. The cast includes Jeremy Renner, Robert Carlyle and Rose Brin. I made a bit of a rookie mistake last week because I said this was directed by Danny Boyle as well, and it's not. Danny Boyle was going to direct the sequel, but he was also directing Sunshine at the time, so that's why he didn't do this, but he was involved in like the process and helping with the plot and stuff like that. But yeah, so that that's my mistake. But the director was Juan Carlos Fer, Fer, Fernandolo. Sorry, I'm, I'm really butchering names i always butcher names <laughs> piece nice brain um and the rob uh, the writers included one rowan joffe and Enrique lopez levine and oh yeah won't go into box office sorry this is my second recording so i need to not to do that but um yeah so we'll go into the plot of 28 weeks later so we start off pretty strong um start off with Don Harris and his wife Alice so Don is played by Robert Carlyle how excited were you to see Robert Carlyle in this by the way because I remember when I first watched this I was like oh my god quite excited to see him yeah like I really like him I ended up like researching him specifically a little bit as well and like I kind of like him even more now like he was born in Mary Hill in Glasgow which isn't like the nicest area I was raised by a single dad left school at 16 and then just kind of developed this love for acting. And um, it was like the early 90s where he started acting and he had his like own production company that he set up with friends. Then eventually like went on to RADA to get like acting qualifications and kind of went that way. So he's just this like regular guy who left school at 16, no qualifications. And like he's ended up being like one of the best character actors in the UK. And I think that's really cool. Um, but yeah, it was great seeing him. And uh, really, I really like him in most of the things that he does. Um, this opening scene as well, it's almost idyllic. Like, yeah. they've got you know, there's so many people in this house. There's like what, like six or eight of them or something, and they're just like making this pasta dish, having a wee joke about how they're gonna have to live off the five tons of chickpeas, and like it's so cute. And you're just like, oh, all you want is for them to just live in this little cottage and until all this blows over. But 
obviously that happened we won't have a film so no it, it's giving cottagecore vibes i'd love to stay in this house um also like the thing i like about 28 days and 28 weeks is it just seems quite realistic because this is six mm-hmm. months after the original outbreak and you can see things have just like things have truly like shit's hit the fan at this point um, but yeah, we start off with this really like nice little setup, as you said. It's this little cottage in a remote area of England, um, and there's a few different survivors. So there's the elderly Jeff and Sally, bless them. <laughs> um, you've got Jacob, Karen, whose boyfriends abandoned the group, and then Don and Alice have two young children as well who were saved from the outbreak by a school trip abroad. So luckily, I know how lucky is that? Do you imagine? Like, I would I would be dead in mainland UK because I wouldn't be able to afford to go but all my friends would be living their <laughs> best life in Spain it was like fucking great <laughs> I know <laughs> <laughs> <Fucking> bastards <laughs> <laughs> so they're all sitting down to have a wee meal together it seems like they all get on really well like just from this like initial kind of opening scene we have but suddenly they hear a young boy outside who's like banging on the door he's begging to be let in this is a really difficult situation to be in because at this point, like, you don't know whether to trust people or not. But when you see a little kid, you want to help them. I don't know what I would do in a situation. I mean, me being like a softie probably would let them in, and that's why I would die. But what would you do if you were in like an outbreak and somebody's like asking for help? I feel I feel like this opening scene is full of these like moral questions, like what would you do? And I think I'm the same because it's a kid. I probably would have let them in, but I understand all the arguments against it. Like they're making a hell of a lot of noise, so obviously they're going to attract the infected. It's an extra mouth to feed, and they're already talking about how they've run out run out of tin tomatoes, and like I couldn't live on chickpeas for the rest. Uh, <laughs> the rage virus i used to like you know that way you like hyper fixate on food sometimes i used oh, yeah. to have like chickpea curry chickpea chili chickpea everything and now i, oh, I can't even eat a chickpea i think they're disgusting um so i, I would probably die <laughs> of starvation <laughs> if, I, if i had like super noodles i'd be fine i could eat super noodles for the entire oh. of the virus no. <laughs> Your face there, you're like, absolutely not. But I think I'm like you, like the softy in me would just let them in because I don't, it's that way. If I heard them being, you know, torn to pieces by the infected outside, like I feel like I wouldn't be able to live with myself, you know, that way. You feel so guilty about it. Yeah. So they do actually end up letting the boy in. Don reluctantly lets him in the cottage. And while they're having food, he says that he's from the nearby town Sanford. He's been fleeing from his infected parents and a, a horde of infected. So that's just adds salt to the wound. Not only are you running away from the infected, but you're also running away from your parents who are trying to now munch you. Um, so while explaining this, the cottage comes under attack, doesn't it? Of course it fucking does. <laughs> and this is like so scary. This is so fast paced. And like I always say that the zombies in the 28 series are some of the scariest to me because they're so fast and it just seems a lot more realistic um so the hordes followed the boy and they've come to the um, cottage and on the first attack karen ends up becoming infected and killed by dawn dawn briefly holds off the infected getting in and the group flee and get separated into two alice and the boy go upstairs while jeff and sally and jacob try to escape through the barn 
The infected break through, though, and Jeff stays behind to hold them off. Bless him, we all be Jeff. Um, he and Sally are overrun while Jacob escapes through the barn window. At the same time, Alice follows the boy upstairs to try and save him, and Don follows to try and save her. Don tr- is trying to convince Alice to flee with her, flee with him, but she refuses to leave without the boy. And when the infected corner her and the boy in the bedroom, like it, you know that there's basically no escape. So Don is in this predicament of like. I have an opportunity to get out right now. If I don't get out right now, I'm going to get infected. So he ends up abandoning his wife and the boy and flees the cottage by himself. And this shot is so scary. He's running through this like really idyllic, really green, beautiful countryside with this horde behind him. And again, it's that moral question because he's left his wife and he's left mm. this little boy. But at that point, the house is completely overrun. That was probably his only chance to escape. But I... I couldn't do that. I couldn't live with myself, especially if it's your spouse. So he's obviously going to be carrying this guilt now. Yeah, I think because they have kids, this is the other kind of deciding factor for him. Because it's like, if he stayed, then he's like, I've left my kids orphans. Um, Because as what they think they're in Spain and they're safe because it's it's not got to Spain so there's that other deciding element in it as well because if he like tries to save her he's not gonna save her like I think in this film more so than 28 days later we really see what the infected are capable of and the way that they operate and what they will do to a non-infected human so like I'm kind of like and the same it's a very like morally gray area should he have saved his wife should he have gone but or should he have saved his own life rather but I just I understand that the kids are playing on the mind and I don't think I would have wanted to leave them orphans either to save save the wife um when in some ways she kind of makes a silly decision to prioritize this boy um and also it's all that girl's fault whatever her name is because she starts looking out the window pining after her boyfriend so it's all her fault anyway yes of course it's karen (laughs) (laughs) no that's true i didn't didn't really consider that i mean yeah they have kids and that's their priority and at that point you are thinking they're safe and obviously britain is completely overrun so if they plan on coming back they need somebody to take care of them so i mean yeah yeah, that that is that is a fair point um after this is he's like running through the countryside um don flees across the farmland to the river dock where jacob is attempting to escape using a motorboat don gets into the motorboat and starts it up but jacob ends up falling into the river and is infected because the infected like again they're so determined like you said i feel like in the first like 28 days later it's more about the dynamics of how people deal with a a pandemic you know like the Mm. army getting involved and like seeing like how like horrible humanity can be to each other yeah we do have that here but this is more like about the infected like we've never seen them go through water before like they're they're determined the only thing they want to do is to feed um so yeah, Jacob unfortunately falls and he ends up getting eaten by the infected. Um, 
And then I feel exactly. heart sorry for Jacob in this moment because I feel like if maybe Don wasn't running towards him, he would have got away. But yeah. then, of, of course, Don doesn't know what's going on around him. He's in total, like, fire f- flight mode. And, um, like, I think it sucks that there's one slip up, like, he loses his foot on the boat and then that's you dead. I'm like, oh, such a shame. Because he's climbed out the window, managed to evade everybody, and then it's just this one, like, stupid little thing that happens and then that's you fucking, you know, dinner for the infected. It, yeah. It's so like fast paced that it's yeah. like, a small slip up and you're done, which would be really realistic for what it's like. Um, oh yeah. Uh, to add salt to the wound again, he's killed like properly killed after he gets infected. He's killed by Dawn with the motorboat's propeller blades. Proper savage. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and then Dawn escapes down the river with the from the infected, and he's the sole survivor out of that whole group. He's the only one. Oh, you got a suki cat. She's just hoaching a bit, like, she's doing my tits on. Oh, <laughs> well, I'll pick her up and see what she wants. Probably her breakfast. She's had her breakfast? <laughs> she's sitting on my notepad now. Okay. Um, <laughs> so we fast forward. Um, so after the rage outbreak just basically destroys and wipes Britain. Like we say, this is six months after the first movie. So Britain is in complete disarray. Um, over the following 28 weeks, the infected start to die of starvation because obviously they've taken out so much of the population, there's not enough people to feed on. Um, and we have a US-led NATO force that enters London and starts to try and repair the city. So starting off as London as being the HQ for basically starting all over again. Um, this is where Britain's escape during the start of uh, the pandemic and among the military force, um, they try and protect London and guard it, and they have, you know, this kind of like safe safe zone, and it does look very organized. But like part of me, I mean, at the start, were you also like, nah, something's gonna go wrong here. Something's gonna go wrong. Yeah, like I was like, oh, starters. I was like, oh fucking, of course, America is the yeah. one. Like they still are like we saved you in world war Two. it's like fuck off like you've lost every war every other war you've ever been in like shut your hole (laughs) (laughs) and like they're just so i'm sorry american listeners it's so very like stereotypically american they're so overly confident that they've kicked kicked the virus's butt that um they make all these silly mistakes and there's so many things throughout this like you know, when they have to go into quarantine again and nothing's really secure. Like, people can very easily get through locked doors and things like that. And, you know, Rose Burns character is like, um, what will we do if there's another outbreak? And Idris was like, we'll kill it. I, I, I just was sitting there like, shut the fuck up. Like, <laughs> you know, living through a pandemic, it's like, I'm like, yous are so naive you know, so naive, but I feel like it's very indicative of the way Americans are. They're just like, we'll just kick his ass. And it's like, that's, what the fuck does that mean? Like, you're You're not going to do anything. You'll do nothing. Like, it doesn't mean anything. Yeah, no, I know. It it is very much, it's giving G.I. Joe realness. (laughs) 
and also living through a pandemic and being through going through lockdown and all the rest of it there's not a chance in hell that the UK has been wiped out London's been completely destroyed they've all the all the infected have died and they've rebuilt London in six months no no it's it's really funny watching this now since everything we've been through because in six months we were probably maybe allowed to go outside and walk like for ten minutes a day. We were maybe allowed to see someone like for a distance walk. That was all that was achieved. <laughs> so yeah, I mean it took us like nearly three years to get to where we are now. So that, that yeah. I, I don't know how that's happened. So I months. love I love their rose tinted glasses of like what a like pandemic would be like, but. <laughs> there's something so american and being like yeah we'll just clean all this up in six months yeah that's fine and <laughs> like no like it reminds us of reminds me of like what we were like in 2020 like four weeks off work that's bloody great animal anyway. crossings just come out come out just play animal crossing and get some time off wonderful. <laughs> um, so amongst the, the the army that are just like yeah we're gonna kick the this fucking rage virus's ass <laughs> is the sniper Doyle and his helicopter friend pilot Flynn, as well as the chief medical officer Scarlet Levy, operations leader General Stone, and then Don, who Don has now like taken on a role as like a caretaker of the District One in London. So this is like a fully functional fortified area, and he has like access to everywhere with his like key card and he's like he's like oh look at me like uh, yeah he he get he gets to go everywhere um so amongst the latest arrivals into london are don and alice's kids which is tammy and andy and the admission of kids into district one without scarlet's authorization shocks and worries her because they've never had kids come in and obviously we're still learning about the virus and how it like affects people and we don't really know much about how it affects kids and obviously as they're coming in they're getting a medical inspection Scarlett notes that Andy has the same like green and brown eye that his mother Alice did um, and when Andy and Tammy are reunited with their father Don he ends up taking them to like he's like I've got this really swanky penthouse and what do you think of their first interaction with each other because they've not seen each other for fucking months I mean they probably didn't know if the other was alive for quite a long time. And it's just that, yeah. What do you think of this, like, them being reunited? Because they also don't really know what's happened to their mum. They don't know what Daddy Don did. So, yeah. Yeah, like, their first meeting, like, when they come off the train is, like, really sweet. Like, I nearly shed a tear. Um, it was really cute because, obviously, they haven't seen each other in six months and you know, they say, I can't remember if it's like Dawn or one of the kids, and they're just like, I thought I'd never see you again. And I remembered that feeling from lockdown, being like, just sitting there on my own, being like, I don't know if I'm ever going to see my friends again, because it did feel like that for a while in lockdown. Um, So yeah, like, I almost shed a tear. And when they go up to the apartment and, you know, the, the dad is obviously just trying to be like, oh, you know, this is great. Like trying to like keep the kids' spirits up. And that question is obviously like the elephant in the room, like what happened to mom? And then he tells us, like, I love the way 
they edit this like they tell the story with the yeah, flashbacks I like that. because like you're sitting there like you're a fucking liar she you watched her get munched not <laughs> knowing what's gonna uh, like gonna happen and um yeah it's like I just it's like it's a very conflicted scene isn't it because you feel sorry for the kids but you're also kind of like annoyed at him because he's lying but he obviously can't tell the truth he can't be like oh yeah let your mum die so that I could be saved because what are they going to think of him and we find out what they think of him for doing it anyway but true I mean your first thought is they're just going to abandon because you just be like fuck you you murder you know you murdered our ma but I do love the way they edit that scene where it's like a reinterpretation of events and you're like you are a sneaky wee fuck you're lying the infected did not kill Alice like that um, and he's like he's cr- like he's crying while telling it, so you can yeah. like, tell he's caught up about it as well. Like I don't get the impression he's like a malicious guy. I think if Dawn had been a different person and the way it was edited, it would paint a very different picture. But you can see it's like cutting him up what he's done. Yeah, I really like. I mean, I always like the roles that Robert Carlyle plays, but I really like his character in 28 weeks because he's a very morally gray character kind of like we were speaking about in the lodge last week because you understand why he's done what he's done and he didn't take joy in it you know he keeps Mm -hmm. suffering with the guilt i mean the the ptsd and the trauma but also just the guilt of what he's done because yeah and 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 probably a lot of people in a situation like a rage virus are going to go through that they're probably everyone's going to have to i mean survival of the fittest there are going to be people that you probably have to leave in the streets or not let in or whatever so it's it feels like very realistic to what would happen but mm. I mean carrying the weight of that would be horrible absolutely yeah. horrible um so yeah he ends up showing them the swanky wee penthouse pad it's very nice I have to say um even though you're looking out into a rage virus infected <laughs> London um and yeah they have this like really nice reunited moment um so the following night andy ends up having a nightmare of alice tearing her face off as andy fears he's gonna forget his mum's face this nearly made me cry it's so heartbreaking um so the next morning tammy decides that and i really like the dynamic between the siblings as well because obviously they've only had each other for quite a while and they seem very close i like the two of them together um so tammy decides you know let's sneak out rookie move i would not be fucking sneaking out after everything that's happened but they decide to sneak out of district one with andy so that they can get a picture of their mum from their old home because their old home isn't far from where this fort is and also again this shows how easy it is for them to get out because it should not be this fucking easy for them to sneak outside yeah exactly but i think as well like the american soldiers have painted this picture that like oh we we've taken care of everything so Tammy's like well there's only fucking stray dogs running about so like there's nothing there to hurt us so why why not and I kind of get that line of thinking even though in the back of your head you're like it's really fucking dangerous you're in quarantine for a reason um and yeah it shows you how good the American soldiers are as well because these two kids just like climb over a fence and sneak out that's all they have to do pretty much. Um, and then we start to see like the ruined unoccupied areas of London um, 
and they end up taking a motorbike from like an abandoned pizzeria and Tammy uses it to drive herself and Andy across empty London to their old home. I really like this shot because like obviously 28 days later the most iconic bit is you know walking through this derelict London but well it's it's London but it's just London empty and if we mm. can see London here it's like absolutely decrepit. What do you think of these scenes because it's like it's it's very it's very harrowing. Yeah, just seeing London completely empty. It's so it's so weird. Um yeah, it's also very smart for them to get a bike as well because London is fucking huge. So how long would they have been walking around for? Um and also if there is anything there, hopefully that means they can get away pretty quickly too. Yeah, I mean, your step can't be through the roof. And the last thing you want is seeing an infected and you're absolutely shattered. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so they end up finding their old home. And this is where the two of them grab a picture of Andy and Alice together. And they stay to try and collect more of their like lost belongings in the house, which I do understand they're wanting to keep mementos, especially because they don't have their mum anymore. And, you know, they want to take stuff to remember. So while they're exploring the old house, um shocked andy ends up finding alice living in one of the rooms physically and mentally disheveled from her isolation but otherwise she's alive what did you think of this wee twist like i was fucking gobsmacked when she was there i was like what the hell is going on and then also like kind of after getting over the initial shock it's just like well they clearly the soldiers clearly did a good job of checking all the houses to make sure there were survivors didn't they because why is she in this house all by herself like for for six months like in this house all alone after being betrayed by the love of her life like like poor alice Poor fucking Alice. And it yeah, obviously they haven't gone through every bloody home because she's and also fuck knows how long it took for her to trek there because Dawn took that motorboat down. I don't know how far Sanford is from London, but that must have like I mean, imagine if she had to do that by foot or something. God knows how long and doing that by herself as well. I mean, that would be that'd be horrible. But yeah, poor Alice has been left in this house alone for six months and you can tell like let alone the trauma of what they went through like being isolated that long you don't know what's going on outside you don't know what's happened to your kids you don't know what's happened to you know your husband who's just like betrayed you and just been like i'm i'm scooting off um but yeah we have this nice moment where she's reunited with the kids but it's cut short because of course the u.s military come in and like ah you know like shit's hit the fan all guns um, blazing literally all guns blazing <laughs> and take them all back to district one where you know they're all separated so alice is separated from the kids and three of them are detained and we have this next shot where they're doing a medical inspection of alice so scarlet's trying to do a blood tr- blood test and is asking alice how she stayed alive you know post outbreak and she notices that alice has an old bite scar on her arm and fears that she's infected um so meanwhile dawn goes to tammy and andy to take them home but the kids are furious at their dad because this is where they learn what's happened no wonder i'd pissed off at him as well it's like you're a fucking liar who left my mum to die fuck off (laughs) exactly um 
So guilty over abandoning his wife, Don ends up leaving and slipping past the military security. Again, showing how fucking easy it is to get past the security. He goes to Alice in the isolation room. So as Don sneaks in, Scarlet tests Scarlet's tests on Alice's blood confirm that she is infected with the rage virus. Um, but she isn't suffering any of the symptoms because she has a natural immunity by caused by a genetic abnormality, basically making her an asymptomatic carrier. So she's immune to the virus's symptoms. This is quite interesting as well because, like, you know, post-pandemic and that, we know some people can be like that with things like COVID and, like, that are asymptomatic survivors. And it's quite similar to everybody's fucking talking about the last of us right now which i love to see because i'm a huge fan of the games and this isn't like a spoiler but ellie the main one of the main characters is asymptomatic as well she ends up getting like a bite wound and she can't get infected so it's quite it's quite interesting um at this point were you kind of like connecting the dots in your head about andy as well because he has like the same like eyes as his mom and thinking were you making that connection yeah, because I was like, oh, what is it about her? And then I was like, is it called heterochromia? And I was like, oh, they've got, they've both got the heterochromia, so there must be something that makes them a bit different. Yeah, because my wheels were starting to turn in my head there as well. Um, so after this, Scarlet wants to keep Alice alive for more tests in the hope of finding a key to you know like a cure or a key to immunization against the rage virus from alice's blood but stone wants to have alice killed to ensure she can't cause another outbreak of infection stone is this typical like military man is like get her killed whereas like i like that you know scarlet isn't like terrified she's like okay you know we have something here so we can see like the the tensions rising between the group um in the isolation room dawn begs alice to forgive him this this scene is proper heartbreaking um and she she seemingly does which i wouldn't be you know the the petty bitch in me is like absolutely not you're dead to me same (laughs) (laughs) Um, and then they end up having a wee kiss but this causes the rage in alice's saliva to infect dawn i know like when Alice is not Alice when Scarlet's talking um to one of the army people and she's like it her saliva is still infected and then they like oh the close-up shot of this French kiss made me <laughs> want to spew like ugh, that was too much detail for me I'm like I get it move on it's got it now okay like, I didn't need such a close-up on that slivers everywhere it reminds me of because I finally caught like we're finally like properly caught up on Love Island. My ick for Love Island is because the mics are so close to their mouths and you can hear the kissing. It's like no. it's disgusting, isn't it? <laughs> disgusting. It is. We don't need that. It's okay. No. Didn't need it. Um. So yeah, Dawn ends up becoming infected, and the infected Dawn brutally beats Alice to death. This is fucking brutal because we also see as well. I mean, we do know this in the first movie, but we're told like it it takes like what 30 seconds or something like that for somebody to become fully infected and you just see how quickly shit hits the fan and it's just it's it's absolutely heartbreaking robert carlyle plays this bit really well like he's the soul has left his eyes um and he ends up before well before he escapes into district one basically attacking anyone that comes his way and uh, we start learning that the effect infection is spreading again 
Stone and the other generals move to a safety bunker and basically execute a lockdown called Code Red. Um, when the various virus spreads and chaos starts to take hold, it ends up reaching the containment area where Tammy and Andy are. What do you think of this bit? Because this is, what, again, it's kind of a little bit like the first one. We see this tiny little, this one person getting infected. It just, well, we've seen it with COVID. It just spreads and it's so quick for ev- this, like, sanctuary essentially just becomes chaos again yeah it just spreads like wildfire um it's frustrating watching it how unprepared people are uh considering you know they've got they've somehow got the uk to a really good place in such a short space of time that this the security, the lockdown, the quarantine protocols are just not there at all. Like, why does someone like Dawn, who fair enough is a caretaker of the building, have an access all areas to Alice's isolation room? That's yeah. ridiculous. Um, and I don't know why these things aren't thought of. I know we would have a movie without it, so there still has to be some kind of suspense of disbelief, but yeah, it's frustrating seeing that they've got the UK to such a good place. And then we systematically watch everything go to shit. Yeah, exactly. Because they need to be prepared for multiple outbreaks to happen. I mean, we've seen in the UK as well, funnily enough, how, how shitty we deal with pandemics. I mean, look how bad fucking 2020 to 2022 was when we you know we had our multiple lockdowns but they were too too little too late um but yeah we can see this here like they're they're not prepared for another outbreak at all which seems so stupid because the the inevitable it's inevitably gonna happen um so yeah as it starts spreading like wildfire scarlet is desperately trying to save tammy and andy getting them um as like top priority However, in the chaos, Andy ends up getting separated from Scarlet and Tammy and is herded with District 1's other civilians into a safe room garage where the soldiers lock them all inside. Yeah, safe room, not really a safe room, <laughs> as the power cuts out. Um, the District 1's military forces mobilise against the outbreak in the garage where Andy and the civilians are locked in. Now, this... I, this is probably one of my favourite scenes because it's just like the anxiety of it all is so horrible. The infected Dawn ends up breaking in as a horrified Andy watches as he attacks the civilians, causing the infection to spread rapidly. And you see this like look that they give each other as well because you can kind of... There's a tiny little bit of Dawn still in there because he doesn't go for Andy straight away. What do you think of this? Because one person gets it and then you can hear them all. And it's like all this like darkness and like all you can hear are these screams and it's just it's fucking horrible. It's terrifying. And it's again like you're like, where was the planning? Where was the where was the thought put into this? Because their code red <clears throat> is to move these, was it like fifteen thousand people yeah. into a car park? And a cl- not even like an open air. It's this, this enclosed car park space. Everyone's crammed in like sardines. And you just kind of look at it and you're like, what did you expect to happen? Like, they pushed through a lock at one point, like it's a wet paper bag. It's like, what What did you think was going to happen here? And it is so scary on like so many levels. Obviously, imagine being there. 
crammed in like sardines and then someone could just like turn around someone could just like turn around and spit on you and that's you got it you know and that's terrifying and then also from a kind of like logistical point of view it's like who put these people in charge and thought this was a good idea exactly and it doesn't seem like as much as like they're trying to amass that like you know we're here to protect you and save you and all this stuff they don't get any reinforcements coming in it seems like these soldiers are just kind of left to their own like nobody's like put any comms out to the states and been like you know we need extra people here to fucking contain this or even just europe like yeah. just over the channel exactly somebody come and help us but they don't and <laughs> um, so in this like outbreak that happens so fucking quickly Doyle and the other rooftop snipers are ordered to shoot the infected but it becomes so hard to tell the infected from the uninfected because like you say they're like sardines you can barely see so they end up shooting innocents as well and at this point they're told kill everyone in sight just kill everybody it's too hard just another it, like, I feel like that's another very American thing because they're just too trigger happy yeah, I was I was actually watching like a review of this film, and it was by an American, and they were just like, "Imagine this happening in the UK, where there's no guns, and like where these like helpless little like oh I can't do anything, like <laughs> just because we have no guns." I'm like, "Use like why do you think everyone needs a gun? That's so weird." I know, like I always get like a culture shock when I go over to the States and I'm fully preparing for it again when I go over this summer. Like it never it never ceases to amaze me. And obviously different like different areas, like different states, you can tell there's a different culture with guns. Like it'd been when I went to Florida just before COVID, it'd been a while since I'd been to Florida. And I honestly it really it it really shocked me because I hadn't been in like ten years or something and just like mm. so casually just guns like everywhere even like security in the malls and stuff like that and i'm just like holy shit it's like some states have that like open caddy so you could just yeah. like have like a holster <laughs> cut out with like one on your in your jean pocket or something and you're like why do you need that i know, I know. what's gonna happen um so whilst this is all happening doyle ends up being unable to comply with the kill all order he ends up abandoning his post and joining the survivors in the warehouse of course it, like he's an avenger like he's not gonna kill a child to say no no Jeremy, exactly. Jeremy oh it's, you know he's an avenger he's meant to save people he's not gonna kill children here and andy ends up reuniting with scarlet and tommy but sadly informs his sister of how their father is one of the infected Doyle offers the kids, Scarlet, and the three other survivors, literally out of 15,000, there's a small handful of people here, he offers for them to escape the green zone with him before the military ends up exterminating the infected. They're going to put, like, put it all on fire, bomb it, whatever. They're basically going to destroy the zone and probably just try and start again. You know, they'll sweep it under the carpet and they're like, that didn't happen. Let's just start again. Um... So Doyle subsequently leads the group through the empty streets towards the District 1 perimeter, trying to fight off snipers shooting at them along the way. Um, two of the three survivors that are with them are killed along the way. And just as the air, air cavalry arrive to firebomb District 1, Andy, Scarlet, Tommy and Sam, Sam's the other remaining survivor, escape 
through District 1, just as the Green Zone is firebombed and thousands of people are killed. Like, what do you what do you think of this? Because, like, they literally say, no backup plan. They have no backup plan, and they're just like, you know what, we're just going to destroy it. It's, it's sad to watch because it's like, it's again, I'm like, you are watching the outcome of their poor planning. So it's like, we're we're not going to do what we should do to keep everyone safe in the first place. And our plan for the consequences of that is to kill everyone and destroy everything. And I I feel like at times we saw that policy being used uh, during COVID in the UK. They, there was a lot of times where the it was quite clear that the government just didn't give a shit and they were quite happy to watch people die. And it's really hard to see because, you know, you feel that the government's supposed to look after you and it's it doesn't. And it's the same thing here. Like, these people have been put in charge here to take care of the survivors of this awful rage virus and they don't put anything in place to keep the people who are safe safe so they're just like let's kill and destroy everything because that's the only option we have and I'm sure it isn't but because they've just been so cocky I wouldn't even call it confidence at this point they're so cocky that they've like beat it they've just let things slide so spectacularly to the point where now the only option is to kill everyone and destroy everything. Yeah, and that's very true. Of, and, like, I can't comment on other countries because we weren't there and obviously policies during COVID were changing so much. But I feel like Britain was like that at one point because we were we ended up having our restrictions too little too late and then they ended up taking them all away and then we ended up having multiple lockdowns and it almost felt like the UK government was getting quite cocky at one point as well and it's just people thinking it was over when it isn't and then we had multiple lockdowns and we've seen that in other countries as well and it's just it, like you said before it's like looking at it with rose tinted glasses and seeing people like just being fucking idiots basically yeah and it's like it's all right for like people like us, but there's still so many immune compromised people yes. who are just like, this isn't over for us. No. Um, but everyone else is like, oh, COVID's over, and it's like for so many people, it's not, and their lives are still being affected by it, and it's it's really frustrating to see the attitudes of the people who are supposed to keep us safe. Exactly, and right now we've got different situation but similar with the government not giving a shit in the UK when it comes to the energy crisis and the living cost crisis and our chancellor said yesterday yeah there's going to be no more government support after April tiniest little bit of support for disabled people and you know people that have chronic pain need to have their heating on I mean everybody needs their heating on anyway because you know our infrastructure and buildings aren't made to handle no heating because i mean look at the mold problems in the uk i see on tiktok every fucking day people having so much mold in their houses because they can't have their heating on and add having an illness on top of that where you need to keep warm because it's gonna you know severely affect your health the government just don't give a shit no they don't they're giving themselves a pay rise as well recently. Yeah. A as a, like that. the ultimate middle finger to everyone who's striking at the moment. So 
fuck the government support the strikers yes fuck covid's still a thing as well yes exactly <laughs> um so as doyle and the other survivors travel across london to regent's park i like that we get like an- another like iconic kind of shot of london and disarray like seeing regent's park i actually forgot about that till i rewatched this i was like oh yeah i recognize that um they're trying to be airlifted to safety by flynn when he comes to doyle scarlet ends up explaining to to doyle because he's like why you know why do you want to save tammy and andy so badly but she believes that they inherited their mother's immunity to the symptoms of the rage virus specifically andy and tammy and andy think about everything that's happened and tammy admits she doesn't believe alice survived this time she thinks that you know her her mum could be dead which i mean don gave her a very good fucking beating so very very likely um Flynn warns Doyle over the radio of the surviving infected that are loose and causing absolute chaos and havoc in London. You know, there's a large horde that end up arriving at Regent's Park as Flynn is flying over, you know, to Doyle by helicopter. When Flynn sees Doyle has rescued civilians, he refuses to take them to safety, especially when Doyle wants Flynn to take them across the English Channel to go to Europe. Because at this point, the outbreak is only in Britain, so they're thinking, okay makes sense go over the english channel go to france go you know the closest country that you possibly can so as the infected attack flint is forced to leave when sam grabs onto his helicopter in a panic though not before flint mows the majority of the attacking infected to shreds with his helicopter blade what do you think of this because like you can kind of see it from flint's perspective a bit because he's like i didn't know you had other people but at the same time it's like just save them yeah your helicopter come on i got annoyed at this helicopter cunt and just the helicopter (laughs) in general like so many times because it kind of like floats down and he's like right i'll meet you over here it's like just fucking pick them up right there like why are we doing this and a lot of the times as well i was watching a different review of this and i didn't realize like i've been to london a few times but i'm not going to say that i'm particularly familiar with its geography a lot of the times he's like i'll meet you over here and there's actually a better spot to pick them up that's much closer like at one point it's oh. like oh i'll meet you at like some stadium and like greenwich park is like right there and it's like why are you getting them to trek 10 miles to the stadium when greenwich park is like less than a mile south it's so weird i get like movie has to move in you know but kind of where's the logic and also i'm like does this helicopter just have unlimited fuel because he (laughs) is cutting about in this helicopter for the entire film it never seems to like fuel up and he like and at the end of the film he does go over the channel and over to france so i'm like is this just got like unlimited fuel? So I was about like, I, this helicopter was annoying me in the film. Because <laughs> it's not like a massive, it's not like a fucking plane. It's a military helicopter. It's not that big. So you'd think you'd need to, you know, fuel up multiple times at least. But that is a very fair point. Because I was thinking that as well. Because I'm like, why are they going all, I get they're using Wembley Stadium because it's like iconic and it's like a yeah. place to pick them up and everything like that. But I'm like, that is fucking miles away. And there is hordes of fucking infected, and it's not a big plane. You could plunk that down anywhere, really, to be honest. So it's exactly. Like, and then, with regards to like the passengers, it's like Doyle could have just said, "Hey, it's me, Scarlet, and two kids. Can you pick us up?" Rather than it being like, "Oh, surprise! <laughs> There's four of us." I, I didn't really need to be like that. Yeah, exactly. So as 
Lynn is making them, you know, get their 10,000 steps in, probably 50,000 steps at <laughs> yeah. this point. He says to them, right, I'll meet you at Wembley Stadium and pick you up. Um, and the military end up pumping nerve gas into London, um, trying to, you know, kill off the infected. And after the gas has killed the infected, Doyle sees soldiers armed with flamethrowers approaching. They're like, you know, just fucking use fire. Gun happy, fire happy. Um, he goes out because they have a car. He goes to push the car by jump starting, but he's killed in the process when the soldiers see and incinerate him with flamethrowers. What do you think? I mean, this is just absolutely savage. It feels like at this point, kind of like in 28 days, they're actually enjoying doing this at this point. You know, they've kind of got like a taste for like killing as well. And it's like, you know, part of it's panic, but also part of it's just kind of savagery. Yeah, like there's kind of doing your job and then there's this, you know, Um because like flamethrowers as well it's like could they not just shoot them in the head or something and they don't even give Doyle a chance to be like hey it's me Doyle I, I'm your colleague I work with you can you maybe not um, they're just like and set them on fire so he doesn't even get a chance to kind of advocate for himself no he ends up turning into a shish kebab just so the the van that they were ha- hiding behind as like the nerve gas was going off, Scarlett ends up using that to drive Tammy and Andy through London until an air, on top of fucking everything else, there's an air attack which forces them to abandon the van and flee into the underground. I don't like the underground at the best of times, let alone during a fucking rage virus infection. Um, this would be absolutely terrifying for me. So as Scarlet tries to guide Tammy and Andy through the underground, bear in mind as well, there's been complete power cuts as well. So it's pitch black in the underground. Um, they only have Doyle's night vision scope from his rifle. While guiding them down, the three get separated again, and Andy and Tammy fall downstairs. Scarlet manages to find Tammy, but um, just afterwards is beaten to death by an infected this broke my fucking heart because she's just wanted to look after these kids right from the start and just as they're about to get to this fucking stadium she gets she gets taken this whole scene was horrible like yeah. this part is like the most terrifying because as well because you can't see it and you see through the night vision that they're just wading through skeletons and you know you can't see anything, you don't know what's in front of you, like, there's multiple skeletons over multiple steps at one point, and it's not like you, you could just, like, brush it away with your foot, because brush it away to where? And, you know, I hate that, like, walking around in the dark, and you don't know, you can't see anything, like, I can walk around in my flat in the dark, because I know where everything is, that's fine, but walking around, like, somewhere strange in the dark, and you don't know if you're gonna hit something, you don't know what's you're going to come to at the bottom. You don't know if you're going to get to Wembley Stadium as well and you'll just see Flynn dead in the helicopter. Like, there's all these unknowns. And then the one adult there that you think is going to protect you gets the absolute shit being out of her. By, I'm sure it's by dawn as well. Yeah, yeah, I think it is by dawn. It's just it's just horrible. Like, this is, like, the scariest scene for me in, like, the whole film. It is. It is. It's probably. I said that I do really like the the basically a, a parking lot scene that we had beforehand. I do like that, but I do this. It this is probably my favorite one as well, to be honest. 
Um, and as they're wandering through here, um, poor fucking Tammy. Obviously, we see Dawn here, and as we said, it, it's Dawn that ends up, you know, killing Scarlet. Um, she sees the infected bites that Andy has, and she's in absolute like shock about this. Um, and she catches the infected's attention and sees that it's her dad. Um, the infected Dawn ends up trying to attack Tammy, forcing her to shoot and kill her own father, which is absolutely horrible. But I mean, again, it's fight or flight. And it's like, if you don't do that, you're going to die. But it's still your dad. Yeah, it must be hard. Like, it'd be different if it was just some rando. But when it's somebody you know, and especially when it's, like, your family. Oh, poor girl. And then at this point, she doesn't know that, you know, Andy definitely has that immunity. So not only, the only adult that was taking care of you is dead. You've had to kill your father. And you're kind of assuming that you're brother is gone as well so it's absolutely horrible like i can't even imagine what tammy's going through right now um so just afterwards like yeah andy's fleeing from tammy into the dark but tammy ends up following him and then she notices that the rage virus hasn't taken over looks at andy and sees that his left eye is turning bloodshot just as alice's did when she was infected um showing that he has inherited his mum's immunity and becomes a carrier of the virus, so it's still in his saliva, but he doesn't, you know, have the symptoms. So Andy and Tammy, fuck knows how they managed to do this, but they end up getting out of the underground to, together and go to Wembley Stadium, where they find Flynn waiting there for Doyle. Flynn learns that Andy and Tammy are the only survivors, Doyle is dead. He reluctantly takes them in the fucking helicopter. After everything they've been through, you'd be like, okay, let me save you. But he, Flynn's just a bastard. Flynn's like, Flynn's the bastard of the movie. Don is a bit, but, you know, Flynn doesn't need to be like this. Um, but yeah, it ends up airlifting them to safety, as Doyle had asked, because that's what Doyle wanted. Um, they're going across London, and you can see all the infected running about. Um, they go across the channel towards Europe, and then we have this shot. I love this, and this is why I'm so pissed off that there isn't a third movie yet. We have a title shot that says, 28 days later, again. So, Flynn's helicopter is empty and abandoned somewhere in France. Somebody's calling for help over the radio, and you see all these infected coming out the metro, running towards the Eiffel Tower. So now we can see that the rage virus has gone across mainland. So, we can kind of assume that maybe like there was... Andy had accidentally given it to Flynn or something has happened, but what what did you think of this? Because it is quite sequel baity, but like I really like it. Yeah, like when they're on the helicopter, I'm like, oh, it's somewhat of a happy ending, you know, like he's only 12, it's not like he's going to be kissing girls anytime soon or boys or whatever he's into. Um, so you're like, oh, like there's hope here and then you get 28 days later and I was literally like, Oh, for fuck's sake! It's <laughs> like because it's spread all over France now, and that's how like the whole world's gonna get it now because it's not quarantined to the to the UK. And yeah, you're you're so right. Like the 28, 28 days, twenty eight weeks later, like 
this could be franchise to fuck mm-hmm. to see how different countries, different parts of the world. Like I was even thinking, I'm like, how's Wales dealing with this? How how is Scotland yeah. dealing with this? Like, surely it's not just like a London centric safe haven. Like, surely there's safe havens in other places as well. So you could absolutely franchise this to fuck, but the people who are in charge of the rights to this property are just not on speaking terms like they can't negotiate for the life of them and what to do with this so it's just going to be left in limbo until they can get their act together really i know i really hope like a big anniversary well what was this 2007 i mean it's been over 10 years but part of me is hoping maybe when it comes to the 20 year anniversary they maybe do something but you're right that it's basically been stuck in limbo because danny boyle hasn't like discounted the thought of doing a third movie the working title was 28 months later and they moved the story on but the writer for the original alex garland is a little more cynical and said when we made 28 days later um the rights were frozen between people who aren't talking to one another as you said so he's kind of like i don't think the film's gonna happen and there isn't a script yet but i mean danny boyle still wants to do it so hopefully they can negotiate something because it'd be such a fucking shame because We've seen how other movies are franchised to fuck and they've done really well, like The Purge. This could easily, there could be like the 28 months, they could do a 28 years, but like you said, they could do it in different regions. There could be like TV series. You could like do so much with this. Absolutely. And you're so right. Like, the Purge is a good example of how they've managed to do it. Because obviously the first one focuses on like the upper classes, the elite, and then they're like, oh, actually, it'd be more interesting to see what happened with people closer to the, the poverty line and how the difference the differences in class affect that and how it's really the people at the, throughout the franchise, how people at the top really manipulate things. And so they've really made, like, I feel like anyway, I'm a massive fan of The Purge, like a compelling story by franchising the fuck out of it, taking people from different points of life and seeing what they would do on purge night uh, and i it's really interesting and i don't see why you couldn't do this with 28 28 days 28 weeks later exactly so in terms of trivia um when they were so when danny boyle alex garland and then andrew mcdonald were first considering a sequel to 28 days they were initially going to do a 29 days later so not six months after and they were gonna use you know the, our original cast of Jim, Selena and Hannah from the first film the idea was dropped and then they were thinking of doing a film which was set within the time frame of 28 weeks later but focusing on an SAS team who went into London to retrieve the Prime Minister or the Queen and then it was decided no we're going to do another we are going to do 28, week, 28 weeks but look at the impact of the rage virus on society which I think is so much better because I don't care about Queenie getting you know saved or the prime minister saved we've been just talking about how crappy the government is so i much prefer this idea that they went with Um, yeah in terms of um other trivia robert carlyle actually turned down the role that christopher eccleston has in 28 days later so he was supposed to be in the original film but he turned it down to be in the sequel which i mean i'm glad about because i think he does a brilliant job in this one yeah, I was I I read that as well, and I was thinking the exact same thing. I think Christopher Eccleston is great in that role. I think Robert Carlyle is great in his role in this film. I'm I think I couldn't imagine like if the two were swapped 
for example. Uh, so I'm glad the people got whatever role they got. Um, also, most of the filming that they did of like the US Army camps took place during one weekend, which was the 21st and the 22nd of October in 2006, um, in the courtyard outside City Point building, Ropemaker Street in London. They had loads of tents with like US flags and people in military dress and vehicles. So they obviously, because London's massive. Um, yeah. I mean, the costs for like, you know hiring out a specific area will take so much of the fucking budget that you know they had to do it as quick as possible it was quite interesting because i was telling you i was re-watch- i was rewatching last night in soho with my mom and ash and they were really lucky when they filmed that because it was during covid so london was yeah. obviously very quiet so they were able to do that but i mean it- it's just mad the cost of like filming somewhere like that so I can understand, but doing that over two days would have been so stressful. My God. Absolutely. Um, speaking of Wales, the Millennium Stadium in Cardiff doubles for the interior of Wembley Stadium. Because at Ooh. the time of filming, um, Wembley was still under construction. So they filmed a bit of it in Wales. Oh, wow. Um, just seeing if there's anything else. So yeah, as I said, Danny Ball couldn't direct the sequel because of commitments to Sunshine and Killian Murphy and Naomi Harris could come back as well, you know, that original plan that they had because they had other commitments too. But I kind of like that we have a new cast in this. As much as I'd like to see what Jim and Selena and Hannah are doing, it sounds bad. It's not like I feel like they're missing in this film. Like, I do like our new family dynamic and seeing it from a new perspective. And then if we did have a 28 months later, I would like to see it from other characters as well. I don't know about you. No, I'm the same because obviously this affected the like this version of the UK on a like a nationwide basis. So yeah, you like you want to see how other people are coping with it. Um there isn't really any other oh, this is quite a nice bit of trivia because obviously they came back from their holiday in Spain. Just a little detail. The t-shirt that Andy wears when he's arriving at District One is the official Real Madrid jersey. Um so I thought that was quite quite a nice little nod because they just came from, from Madrid. Um, but yeah, is there anything else that you want to mention before we get on to box office and ratings? I had read that Doyle and Scarlett's deaths were actually supposed to be the other way around, but they switched them oh. because they wanted the kids, like last adult, to be Scarlet, no offense to Scarlet, so that they would, the three of them would seem a bit more vulnerable without Doyle, and I do kind of like it that they they did it that way as well. Yeah, I think so as well, especially because you feel more invested in Scarlet because you know right from the beginning, Scarlet. Well, actually not, because right from the beginning she's a bit wary of having kids into the district but, you know, she's the one that clocks about the the immunity and being an asymptomatic asymptomatic car- uh, carrier and you can really see, like, not that Doyle doesn't like help with the kids and stuff as well but you can see how much that Scarlet cares for them so her death being that one right at the end I think really just like tugs you at the heart so, yeah I prefer it that way as well in terms of box office, this had this actually did really well. It did have a chunky budget. I'll have to look back and see what Twenty Eight Days Later was again. Actually, let me do that just now because I'm kind of curious what the difference is. Um, 
for the original movie, the budget was hmm, what was it? So they had a five million dollar budget for the original film twenty eight days later, and twenty eight weeks later had a fifty million dollar budget, so double what the first one had. Um and it did do really well at the box office. It made sixty four point two million in, in two thousand and seven as well. I think that was quite good. I actually I re- remember the marking for this movie as well. They had like cool posters and they had like you know 2007 people are just starting to use the internet. I remember the website that they had and they had like a URL that people could go on. And when you went on it there was like infected like jumping like on the screen and stuff like that and it was like really cool. They, they did a lot of guerrilla marketing for this film which I really appreciate cuz you know we talked about it in Megan we're only starting to get that kind of marketing again recently and I feel like people don't see the value in it very much and it's it's really effective um to be fair though 28 days later it grossed 82 million so it did better than 28 weeks yeah it's still a success yeah definitely um in terms of ratings IMDB gave 28 weeks later a 6.9 out of 10 Rotten Tomatoes, the critics gave it 72, the audience gave it 66, and then Metacritic gave it 79, so about a 6, 7 all round. Metacritic preferred it though, but as we always say, don't give a shit what the critics <laughs> think. All I care about is our own opinions, because we're always right. So Lindsay, what are you going to give 28 weeks later out of 10? I'm going to give 28 weeks an 8 out of 10. It was a nice surprise, like because I was expecting it to be a bit shit because I'd been told so often that it was shit but it's actually not it's a nice continuation of what we've seen in 28 days later and yeah I just really want whoever owns the rights to this to sort their shit out so we can get a bit more it's not like me to want more out of a, a franchise I normally hate that kind of thing but it'd be nice to see more of this especially like what we've all lived through globally I mean is a really there's really not a better time for a kind of like pandemic piece of media really is there yeah exactly it'd be really interesting to look at that now with everything that we know and haven't been through a pandemic um I really like that because I'm also going to give it the same rating I've been planning on giving this an 8 out of 10 as well I think this is a really solid movie I think um, I do prefer 28 Days, but I think this is a really strong sequel, especially when we know, like, in horror, sometimes sequels can be cursed. We've seen some really shit sequels and some really shit, like, trilogies as well. But this is a really strong sequel to what was a really great original film. And yeah, whoever has the rights, please just just let us have a 28 month. I really want to see. I want to see in... Scotland and and Wales and Paris like god knows where else it could go at that point because Europe is like it's so easy to travel within Europe like it could go all over Europe so quickly definitely but yeah that's and oh and also are you happy no dead dogs no dead dogs (laughs) I was I was so worried that we were in our dead dog era I'm like I can't I can't do this for a third week (laughs) Um, so for next week we're going to be talking about horror that plays with the senses so you've chosen this movie it's the sound of violence i know absolutely fuck all about this but are you excited to talk about it 
Yeah, it's a nice wee indie film starring Jasmine Savoy Brown, who's in Yellow Jackets and the latest Scream film. I absolutely love her. So yeah, looking forward to that. And like the main character has synesthesia in it, and there's some really striking visuals um to kind of complement uh, the synesthesia that the character experiences. So I'm looking forward to talking about it. Something something a wee bit different. Aye, something a wee bit different, definitely. Um, if people want to follow you on the socials, where can they find you? I am at hi it's Lindsay underscore on all social media. And you can find me at Lulu underscore Q on all the socials. If you want to follow the podcast, you can find us at GoFriendPod on Twitter, GoFriends underscore podcast on Instagram. And until next time, stay spooky. Bye.